Thank you, Dan, choir, and instrumentalists. Turn your Bibles to the book of Psalms, Psalm 103, Praise Him. A wise man once said that the hardest arithmetic to master is that which enables us to count our blessings. One of the tragic commentaries of God's people is that we tend to count our blessings on our fingertips and our complaints on our calculators, do we not? We tend to spend so much time complaining that we rarely ever take the time to express our gratitude to God. Oh, there are times to let our difficulties be made known to God. There are times that we are to pour out our heart and our requests. Times when we even should groan and complain. Times when we let our petitions be brought before the throne of God. In the prior song, Psalm 102, David lets his complaints roll like thunder. In that psalm, he says, Lord, let my pitiful cry for help come before thee. Lord, answer me quickly. Lord, I lie awake at night. Lord, I have become as lonely as a bird on a housetop. Lord, help. Lord, hear my prayer. Lord, my bones are scorched like the hearth. I am withering away like grass. But in this psalm, Psalm 103, there is none of that. There is no cry for help. Here is a song of praise. There are times to let our petitions be made known to God, but there are also times to let all the requests stop and to praise God for what He has already done. In our lives. Look at verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Don't forget what God has done for you. Anybody in here ever walk out of Walmart? only to wonder where your car is parked. Has that ever happened to you? Don't give me that not me look. I see you hitting that panic fob on your car, flashing lights, blaring horns so you can find your car. It's not so subtle, is it, when you forget your car? Anyone here ever forget where you've hidden something? You've hidden it from someone else, but you end up hiding it from yourself. Do you not? Why, some of these folks in this sanctuary could hide their own Easter eggs and make a game of it. <laughs> Ever find yourself standing at the fridge with the door halfway open and you ponder, did I, did I just have a snack or am I putting something back? I, I, can't, I can't remember if I'm getting something out or putting something back. Our forgetfulness is caused by a lot of things. Stress, like before the big toast at the wedding, everybody, all eyes on you, you want to say just the right words, and you go completely blank. Stress. 
Multitasking, maybe you were on the phone when you parked at Walmart and thus you paid no attention to where you parked and you come out and you have to hit the panic fob in front of God and everybody in the parking lot. Maybe it's lack of sleep when you don't sleep well, you don't remember well, it, it doesn't work. But of all the things to forget, never forget God, His goodness, and His blessings. The finest test of character is seen in the amount and the power of the gratitude that we express. God desires our praise and Jesus wants our thankfulness. The divine stands perplexed when we refuse to acknowledge with thankful hearts all that God has done for us. You remember the story. Luke records it. There are ten of them. See them there. Men, leprous, all plagued with leprosy. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He comes across these ten leprous men, and they cry out in unison with one voice, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They stand at a distance knowing that they are unclean, and they cannot approach him. Jesus has compassion on them. Go and show yourselves to the priests. And while they are going to the priest to be inspected, to be declared clean, to enter the community once again, they are cleansed on the way. Their skin is whole, it is pure, it is unblemished. And of the ten, one stops, turns back, praises God, falls at the feet of Jesus, worships him and thanks him. He's a Samaritan. And Jesus does the math. There were ten, and only one came back. Where indeed are the other nine? Jesus knows when we're ungrateful. He expects thanks and gratitude. Well, I want us to notice some reasons, three reasons to be thankful to God. First of all, thank God for his forgiveness. Look at verse 3 who pardons all your iniquities. Look at verse 10. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Look at verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Throughout this song, David thanks God for his pardon, for his forgiveness of all of our iniquities, who has dealt kindly with us and compassionately with us, who has dealt with us not according to our transgressions. If we could ever grasp the forgiving nature of God, we would live our lives with so much joy. There are people, Christian people, who've accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. They've given their lives to Christ. They've repented. They've turned to live new kinds of lives. They are now followers of Jesus. But even though they are forgiven, they don't live life like they're forgiven. They live life under the burden of making up for some sin of the past. They're playing catch-up for some terrible wrong and their history. 
If I understand God's word at all, I understand this. I do not have to make up for my past. I do not live out my Christian life with a burden for yesterday's sin, but rather we are to live life with a sense of joy of God's pardon and God's forgiveness. Our past is no longer an issue. Our past is no longer an issue. Our only question is, how am I serving God today? He has forgotten the past. If you don't deal with your guilt, your guilt will deal with you. Dr. Paul Turnier in his book, Whole People in a Broken World, says that so many people were coming to see him for physical maladies only to discover that life was tearing them down, the burden of some sin of the past. It was affecting them physically and emotionally and spiritually. There was depression. There were physical maladies because they were still carrying some awful sin in the past. Jesus died on the cross that you could be forgiven. Now, exactly what else does God need to do for you to let it go? If I were God, I'd be up in heaven. I'd be so perplexed to see my people burdened down by sins of yesterday that I sent my own son to die for that they could be free. I wonder if he, he ponders I gave the life of my son in an awful death on the cross. He bore their sins. Now, what is the other thing they needed me to do to be able to let go of their sins? There was crucifixion. There was resurrection, glory from death. What more was God to do? It is indeed difficult to accept that God would ever forgive us for our sins it seems impossible that a, a God who is so holy would cast away our sins, that he would actually forget our sins of the past, that he would call clean that which is filthy, that he would call whole that which is broken, that he would call pure that which is blemished, that he would call straight that which is crooked, that he would call innocent we who are guilty. But the psalmist says, with all of his soul, Praise God for his forgiveness. For he has cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. And he remembers our sin no more. Now make no mistake. Just because we're forgiven doesn't mean it's, it's no big deal. The forgiveness was very, very expensive. It cost the crucifixion of the Christ there were thorns and nails and swords and a bloody body from a beating. Our sin is an awful thing, and it extracted a great price from our Lord. We are saved by his blood, but we are forgiven at the foot of the cross. When you continue to struggle with yesterday's sins, you are denying the power and the reality of the crucifixion of Jesus. When you continue to struggle with yesterday's sins, you are denying the reality and the power of the crucifixion of Jesus. You don't know what I've done, Pastor, but you don't know the power of God, do you? 
Now, you might say that's okay for David to say, oh, yes, we know the goodness of David. We know that he expanded the borders of Israel like never before. We know that God blessed him. He was a man after God's own heart, and he defeated the enemies on the left and the right hand. We know all that about David, that the treasury was built, that he planned to build the temple. We know all of that, especially in recent months here, about David, don't we? But we also know about adultery and greed and murder, do we not? This David who was guilty of all those sins says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Don't forget what God has done. He doesn't remember our iniquities. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins. The apostle John in the first chapter of his epistle puts it this way, if we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Dr. Charles Allen tells the story of a physician who passed away after a long life of serving his community. His widow began to go over his accounts and the books of his practice, and she noticed that a lot of people in this small town had not paid her husband. And she put some effort into making collections, efforts that he didn't expend, and she was beginning to have some luck. But she noticed written across the accounts on some of the ledgers was the word forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. Well, he had just decided that they were too poor to pay, and so he had forgiven their expenses. He had let it go, but his wife didn't see it the same way, and she went to court trying to make a collection for these past-due medical bills. The judge of the case looked over the accounts, and he said to her, Ma'am, there's not a court in this land that will allow you to collect on these debts, for they are gone. And the writing of the one to whom the debt was owed they are forgiven. God forgives you. God has declared that our sins are pardoned. Who are we to try to reinstate our guilt? Forgiveness is this. It's the immeasurable distance of God from our sins. It's an immeasurable distance of God, separation of God from our sins. God's love, like himself, is infinite. The psalmist, look at verse 11 and 12 and 13. He stretches language to his capacity. He gives us the divine geometry of forgiveness. The height is as high as the heavens, verse 12. The breadth of our sin is as far as the east is from the west. Another writer says, God plunges our sin into the depths of the sea. And he remembers them no more. But look at verse 13. Forgiveness is a fatherly matter, isn't it? Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. No infinite distances express the grace of God like the intimacy of family. The Lord has compassion on his children better than the best of human fathers. 
whether you look back at history as this psalmist does or whether you look inward to a, a personal experience as David does, knowing the awfulness of his sin and the forgiveness that came his way. Whether you look upward to the heavens and see how separated God is from our sins. Or whether you look homeward to the Father, the Heavenly Father, every horizon is filled with praise to God because He has forgiven us our sins. How would it change your life if you decide to live as forgiven? How would it change your life you decided starting today you're going to listen to the psalmist and you're going to claim God's forgiveness I think it would change our lives immeasurably would it not to no longer drag around the guilt and the burden of yesterday's sin and when Satan tried to remind us we would remind him of the crucifixion of the Christ that causes God to forget oh Satan doesn't forget but God does how would it really change your life if you decided once and for all you were going to wear forgiven in your heart and in your mind? There's a second reason. Not only are we to be thankful to God for our forgiveness, there's a, a second reason. We're to be thankful for the eternal nature of God's love. Look at verse 13. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are nothing but dust. As for a man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, the flower is no more. And in its place, there is nothing. But the, but the loving kindness of the Lord is everlasting to everlasting to those who fear him. For the loving kindness of the Lord is everlasting to everlasting to those, verse 18, who keep his covenant and who remember his precepts and do them. One of the reasons for the fatherly love of God is his knowledge of our own mortality and frailty. God knows our mortality. His knowledge is personal. He himself knows how we were formed he made us. His knowledge is historical. He was present when we were fashioned, Adam, out of dust. God understands in a way that we ourselves cannot what it means to face death in the grave. He knows the brevity of our vitality. As for man, look at that. His days are like grass, here and gone. He knows the vanity of our beauty. Look at verse 15. He flourishes like a flower in the field. Now ask the older folks among us. If life seems to have rushed by. You know, when we're young, I don't know why we do this. Maybe it's self-protection. But when we're really young, we think that old people are a different species than we are, don't we? I'm young and they are they, right? That's just something different. We'll never get there. Oh, maybe way, way, way. But, you know, that's nothing close to us, right? You ask the eldest among us, was life fast or was life slow? And she will tell you, like the psalmist does, oh, it's like the grass of the field. It's like the flower that flourishes for a moment 
and then it is, is gone. Life is so brief. We think that we'll always have our health and our vitality and our youthfulness, but we will not. Life is fast. Elaine Clark and I were having dinner with some new friends this evening and one evening this week, and we were out eating, and we, I just had a salad, and I mentioned that even that was a lot for me that I got nowhere in the evening. I just soon settled for a bowl of cereal. And right in front of our new guest, our new friends, Elaine said, but that's because you're old now. That's what old men do. <laughs> old, men, old men eat cereal at night. Old men, it's happened to me. I eat cereal at night, and I'm, and, and I'm happy with it. Isn't that terrible? I remember when I was young, my grandfather would open up his Christmas presents. I would get toys. Or I wanted toys or cash because cash meant more toys, right? Either way, toys or cash. I remember watching my papa open up his presents and he would get underwear and socks. And I thought, what has he done that is so terrible <laughs> that for Christmas my parents had given him underwear and socks? God bless papa. This is awful. We need to go do something. Guess what I want for Christmas now? <laughs> I'm just 53, and I already want underwear and socks. You know at that moment, life really is over. When you, when you want underwear and socks for Christmas, just hang it up. It is absolutely over. God knows the brevity of our life, but the good news is His loving kindness lasts way beyond our lifetime. God's love for you is eternal. God's love for you is eternal. I, I looked up. I wanted to know. God says we're like a flower. What is the shortest bloom of any flower? All I could come up with was the hibiscus trinum. Have you ever heard of this little hibiscus? It is about two inches of flower. I saw pictures of it all week. It is kind of a, a pale yellow or a white with kind of a violet underlings of the, around the petals. And there is a burgundy center. And what I learned about this, this particular hibiscus is the blooms last not days. The blooms last about an hour. It's called the flower of the hour. So if you plant this particular hibiscus on the day you think it's going to bloom, you better stay home and get a chair because it's going to come open for about an hour and it's going to close. And then it is after one hour, show over flower of an hour hibiscus. Life is brief. It is like the hibiscus, the flower of the hour, and then it is gone. Time rushes by. It will not stop. It will not pause. It respects neither race, nor riches, nor rank. The clock is moving forward. It never looks back. We are but a vapor. We're like our breath on a cold morning for a moment is there, and then it dissipates, does it not? That's why it's so important not to become entangled in the affairs of this world, but to know that God's kingdom is eternal.
Notice verse 17. God's love is everlasting, but the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting for those who fear him. God's love, unlike our lives, that the flower for the moment and then they're gone, God's love doesn't last a lifetime. God's love is eternal. God loves you forever. God's love for you knows no bounds of time. It knows no limits of life. Rather, it lasts forever. Our blessed hope is grounded in the forever love of God. There's a, a third reason I want you to see. And that is, thank God for his certain hope. Thank God for his certain hope. Ask yourself this morning, how would it change my life if I really believed in the forgiveness of God, if I really believed in Calvary? How would it change my life if I really believed that God's love for me was eternal? And then thirdly, how would it change your life if you really understood the certain hope of God's people? Give thanks to God, the psalmist says, because of our certain hope. Those who are believers die with the certainty that they go to God's kingdom. However much pain or suffering or limitations we have on this side, there is something wonderful and beautiful that lies beyond this life for us. We really ought to think often about the afterlife because no matter which path we choose in this life, they all end up at exactly the same place, do they not? Death. The death rate is, despite what you read, it is 100%. There's a new breed of longevity specialists who are trying to find a way to make humanity live longer. Some say it's the end of the chromosomes. They, they appear to shorten in a fuse-like fashion if we can stop that. And others say within the cell, as it consumes food, it leaves waste in the cell. And if we can stop that. And others say, well, it's a matter of finding the DNA, the map that calls for our bodies to age. If we can find that DNA and then manipulate it, we can stop the aging process altogether. And all that sounds fabulous, doesn't it? A man born in 1900 lived an average lifespan of 47 years. A man born at an average lifespan of 76 years. In the future, will it be 150? I, I don't know. I don't know. Dr. George Ruth, molecular, molecular physiologist at the National Institute of Aging in Beth, Bethesda, Maryland, has some ideas. Dr. George says the answer is caloric restriction. Caloric restriction. If you would live on 1,400 calories a day, well, Dr. Ross says it could add 30 years to your life. It may seem like you're living a lot longer on 1,400 calories a day. I know whenever I'm in dieting mode, the day is really, really long, isn't it? So I don't know if you actually live longer or life just seems a lot longer when you're not allowed to eat anything that tastes good. But whether it's 47 years or 76 years or 150 years compared to eternity, it is nothing, is it? The psalmist reminds us that we are nothing except dust. We're like grass. We're like flowers. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. But we have a certain hope for eternity. The songwriter Francis Havergal lived and moved in the Word of God 
The Bible was her constant companion. On the last day of her life, she asked a friend to turn to Isaiah chapter 2 and to read the sixth verse. And here it is. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness. I will hold your hand and I will keep you. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand and will keep you. Miss Havergal stopped and she whispered, called, held, kept. Called, held, kept. I can go home on those words. And she did. Remember, the psalmist says, there are a lot of things you can forget, but don't forget anything that God has done for you. Remember his forgiveness. Remember, as far as the east is from the west, and live your life like a forgiven person. Remember his everlasting love, not like the flower of an hour that comes and blooms, the hibiscus and then withers away in the wind. No, God's love is even beyond the lifetime. And then thirdly, he says, praise God, not only for his forgiveness, not only for his love, but praise God for your certain hope that you have. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Let's pray. God, what wonderful gifts. Forgiveness. Love, eternity, a certain hope. So many times we're so busy coming to you asking for more, we forget what you have already done for us. And even beyond David, we can say in Christ Jesus, the descendant of David. Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who's carrying the burden of old sin, that this would be the day, that now would be the moment that finally he decides to obey the word of God, to let it go. If there's anyone here in this room who feels unloved or lonely, I pray that she would hear the message of the psalmist today, that God's love is everlasting. Finally, if there's any here this morning or by way of television who are near death themselves, I pray they'll be reminded in this psalm of the everlasting nature, the certain hope for God's people and God's everlasting kingdom. What wonderful gifts, O God. Bless the Lord, O our souls, and all that is within us. We praise his holy name. Amen.